my name is Tara, and I'm always searching for the connection between all kinds of people. Given the current landscape, we often feel divided amongst each other. It is inspiring to find the commonality amongst each other. The next guest I have with me works in the continuing medical education field, wearing many hats and acting as a project lead for various programs at large in and out of the organization, such as being a volunteer accreditation site surveyor with the Ohio State Medical Association and holding various degrees and certification within human resources. For today's episode, we will be going more in depth about the continuing medical education field and how they carry their unique balance of strategy, education, and humor to everything they do. Please give a very warm welcome to Jess Henry. Thank you for being here today, Jess. Hi, Kara. Thanks for having me. Hey. Yeah. This is very exciting too. I only know a little bit about what uh, CME or continuing medical education does, so I'm very excited. I feel like the audience will be very excited to learn more about the department and what you do and everything you bring to the table. So before we do a deep dive here, what is then your specific title and department you work at for Ohio Health? So my title at Ohio Health currently is Consultants and Learning. Uh, when I started in this department, it was Continuing Medical Education Program Manager. Uh, that changed sometime last year. Perfect. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that, too. And it just amazes me whenever I talk to somebody, most of the people I've brought to the table are in the learning department. It always blows my mind how many sub-departments there are in learning, and that learning is also a sub-department within HR. I feel like I could go on and on about the different departments and what we do for the organization. It just, it blows my mind every single time too when I think about it. Yeah, we really have a lot of different teams that have a lot of different touch points within learning. Right. And it's really cool because I feel like I get to interact with a lot of those departments as well. So I feel like each day is always a different task and who I get to interact with. And that's always exciting. I feel like it's never the same day really too. So absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So before we get started here too and keep digging a little bit further then, for those who are not familiar, how would you describe the Continuing Medical Education Department or CME for short? Wow, um, that is a loaded question. Okay, and, <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, um, in... Within CME, we oversee all of the programs that are created that physicians need to maintain their licensure. So just like nurses or any other licensed profession, you need continuing education to continue your license. Okay. So that's what we do. We work with the physicians. So we work with the MD physicians to award credit for their activities for that are AMA accredited. And then we also work with DO physicians who are osteopathic physicians to award AOA or American Osteopathic Association credit as well. In addition to that, on a program by program basis, we also work with the Ohio Psychological Association. We work with podiatry credits and then um, the American Academy of Family Physicians, the AAFP, to award those credits as well. Dang. And I feel like it just goes back to our earlier conversation. I didn't realize within the medical field, all the different titles and then within different subgroups. And like you mentioned there, like someone that's an MD, they have a specific accreditation, but someone that's a DO, it goes down a different path, that sounds like. So that's just sounds like a lot. You kind of have to 
kind of remember or just pay attention to to make sure they do get the right credit for the title or area that they work in. Yeah, absolutely. And there are many of our education programs that we provide will have some, one, or maybe even all of those credit types, plus many other discipline credit types might be involved too. That's crazy because it sounds like what you just said there, it sounds like it could be intertwined there as well and can cover a lot of different areas or titles and stuff like that too. So I can't imagine how you and your small team manage that as well, especially for a larger project or even for the organization at large too. Yeah, thankfully for programs where we're offering other discipline credits, there are program managers for those disciplines that they get the credit, they manage it. We just use our system. For instance, I have a trauma conference coming up in November. Okay. We're awarding AMA credit for MDs, AOA credit for DOs, athletic trainer credit, pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech language pathology, and EMS credit. So aside from the AMA and the AOA credit, all of those other credit types are being managed by program managers within those specific disciplines. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you for explaining that. Cause when I was thinking of intertwined, I'm like, how does one person or one <laughs> small team even manage that? But that's nice to know you have those resources just for those specific areas. Cause I feel like I would lose my mind if I was one person trying to manage all those credits for every single facility. So that's good to know that you always have those resources to rely on because I can't imagine the the credit process and making sure it is correct, like the correct hours and how they are awarded it to and whatnot. So yeah, when I started in on the CME team four years ago, uh-huh. we used to apply for a lot of those different credits ourselves. So we were managing them all. And as our CME program has continued to evolve and grow and accreditation requirements have, have grown as well, we just don't have the capacity to do that. Plus, sure. we're not the experts of those disciplines yes. to make sure we're meeting those needs. So it really has added a whole level of interprofessional education Ooh. by having those different program managers do those credits for all these different activities, we really can plan it a lot better. See, and that's, that's an awesome spin that you just put on there too. It's like, from a resource standpoint, how do you have four people managing all those credits? There's no way, because that would just be a big burden on resource and time management and whatnot. And like you said there too, it's very interdisciplinary um, professionalism in a way. So like you may not be the subject matter expert, but you can go to somebody to help you out with that and maybe kind of learn from them as well too. So you know for the next time or the next program, you're better prepared for it too. So that's really cool. We get to work with a lot of different people in that aspect. Yep, you're absolutely right. Perfect. So we'll go back in time a little bit here. I feel like we'll be jumping kind of forward and backwards here too on your timeline. So you mentioned that you've been with the CME team for four years. So prior to that, did you work anywhere else in Ohio Health or at a different organization that kind of helped lead to where you are today? So I I started working, like receiving a paycheck when I was 14. Okay. I've been working ever since. Um, (laughs) Right. Takes me all the way back to my days of being when Kroger still had baggers. Oh my god! Doing that, but <laughs> I've been at Ohio Health since May 2004. Nice. 
I was 19 years old, living back home, wanted to move to the big city right? <laughs> and, you know, have a job and make a life because I didn't really like small town living. Sure. And I knew a couple of people that worked at Grant and they had a really good relationship with their department manager. So she was able to create a contingent position for me. Oh, cool. I still worked full-time hours, but it got me moved to the city. So I worked there as a patient care technician and then a, and they called them PCTs then, and then a PCT and a unit clerk. And I did that for three years on night shift. I originally, my plan was six months, move to the city, do something else, not healthcare. Oh. I did not want to work in healthcare. Okay. And then I hurt my back. Oh. So my limitations I had a lot of limits and a new department was opening at Grant, the neuromedical stroke unit on the fifth floor. And so I applied for the position as a unit information specialist and the timing just happened to coincide when I couldn't lift patients anymore. And so I got that job, worked really close with the manager to create the department and set it up and get it going. And I did that for six years. Wow. And during this time, I was also in school. And when I it was still in school, when I was finally, I was kind of, I hit a plateau. I could do the job in my sleep. Yeah. It was crazy busy. It was one of those, you show, by the time you get there to the time you leave, a, you know, a blink of an eye has gone by. But it was mundane. I was bored. Yeah. So I had worked with some of the leadership on what can I do to improve so that I can advance? Where would you like to see me go? Things like that. And it was actually Donna Hanley, who used to be the chief nursing officer at Grant, was like, do this and do this and do this, and it really will help you. And it really did. And so I did that. And then I applied to be an administrative assistant in nursing um, nursing administration. Okay. Got that. Did that for three years. But then I finished school. I had done an internship with diversity and inclusion, and I was ready for another challenge. While the job was good and I learned a lot, again, I'd hit a, hit a plateau. Sure. It was the same thing day in and day out, day in and day out. So then I applied to work in CME. I had no experience in it. I didn't even really understand what it was <laughs> Okay. <laughs> other than it was something different. So challenge myself. Sure. I was really encouraged to go for it. When I first looked at, it, I was like, this is not for me. I don't <laughs> want, this is nothing I ever want to do. But the more I went through the interview process and talked to my mentors about it, the more I actually thought it was really interesting. And here we are four years later I'm not bored. I'm not plateaued. And every day seems to be in learning something new, which I really like. I like to always be learning something new and not feel like I'm going through the motions. Yes. So in a nutshell, I've had a handful of jobs over my almost 17 years at Ohio Health. And now I'm just inching towards 20 for that shopping trip. (laughs) You're almost there. (laughs) Yep. Almost. Oh, that's awesome. 
Well, thank you for sharing that story as well. I knew you worked in um, different areas before getting to CME, but not in that full detail. And, and what a, a beautiful journey it sounds like that you were living in a um, smaller city, smaller part of Ohio, and you want to move to the big city and get started that way and how you started with like uh, the unit area, like being in the clinical care site, and then that bridge pretty much from there to where you are. That to me was just like a beautiful and aspiring story that you were willing to challenge yourself and you realized when you hit those plateaus and you wanted to learn more and grow more and that you actually did set the wheels in motion and it sounded like you did some networking or did seek some guidance from your peers as well too. So thank you for sharing that. That's just very inspiring for me to hear and hopefully for the audience as well with their career journey. Yeah, absolutely. I'm one of those people and it's even how I was raised that you don't get a paycheck you earn a paycheck. And in my eyes, if I'm just going through the motions, not challenging myself or challenging the work I do, I'm not really earning that paycheck anymore. I'm just getting it. And that's not the life I like to lead for myself. Absolutely. And I feel like you hit the nail on the head there. I feel like there's kind of that difference there with some people. For me and my, yourself too, I feel like we're kind of the same and that we like being challenged. We don't want to be plateau. We don't want to be mundane and just go through the motions and, and not really think much of it. And then I feel like I have met people and that's their decision where they do find a job, they stay in there for a while and they have uh, no problem doing the mundane things. And that's what I've noticed just in my career too. And there's no wrong answer, but in life too, I feel like you don't learn or challenge or grow yourself unless you get out of your comfort zone and do something else too. Absolutely. You're hundred percent right. When I worked on doing patient care, there were people who had been doing that 20, 30 years in that same role, even, even some in that same department that whole time. And that was okay for them. And that's okay. Everybody's different. It just depends on what you want to do with your life and what are you comfortable doing. And if you're okay with that, pushing yourself outside of that comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely too. I feel like that's each uh, person's individual decision as well. If you want to stay within that department or doing the same thing for a long time, good for you. I feel like myself, I couldn't do that. I feel like I've hit plateaus and that's how I've been able to move up. But you're right. It's It's got to be a reflection on you and you yourself have to be ready for that leap whenever you do want to make it. So you, you definitely brought up a good point there. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Um, so kind of going back to your CME position then, how would you describe a typical day then if you can working in CME then, if you don't mind sharing? A typical day? Yes. Tara, I didn't know you were a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> My side job, don't you know? <laughs> or I guess as close to a typical day since it sounds like each day is different, which is cool. So I guess if there is some sort of normalcy or if not, please feel free to explain too. <laughs> Yeah. In CME, a typical day does not exist. There is not a typical day. Okay. Yesterday is different than today. Sure. Um, I will say, though, that there are chunks of time that are kind of similar in that spring and fall are our busiest times. Okay. So when we have the most annual conferences, biannual conferences, those are typically when they're being offered. 
people don't like to to plan conferences in the summer because people are on summer vacation, things like that. Sure. On the opposite, they don't like to plan them in the winter because it's winter. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you have to say. <laughs> yeah, it's cold. So spring and fall. And in that, there's tons of planning that goes involved in it depending on how long the conference is. And so a typical eight-hour conference, we start planning nine to ten months ahead of time. Wow. And just because of all the logistics that go into that, as well as all the accreditation requirements, we have to ensure that we're meeting and checking all the boxes and crossing our T's and dotting our I's. Wow. But on a day-to-day, it's working on all of those conferences, as well as making sure that we're keeping up to date with any of our series activities. So things that meet on a cadence, whether it be weekly or monthly, and making sure we're staying on top of those. And then we have online learning, which I oversee most of those. So making sure that's all done. So there are lots of different things from day to day. Like today, I spent a lot of time working on series things. Yesterday, I worked a lot on conference tasks. The day before that, I worked a lot on our website. And making changes in there because I oversee that as well. So it really just depends. No day is the same. Wow. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that too. And that's been an interesting piece in doing that podcast, talking to some people. Someday it is kind of within the same realm, the same thing they do every day. But then some people I talk to, as you mentioned, each day is a different thing too, as far as what's on your to-do list and what needs to get done. So that sounds very interesting in what you do and that each day again is different and it sounds like you manage a lot of stuff too that you brought up what the website and maybe the CME cloud and stuff like that so do you mind sharing more about maybe specifically what you do then within your department or job title sure so for cloud CME which is our platform that we use to manage and deliver most all of our education Um, I oversaw and led the project that implemented it and oversaw the project that expanded it to other disciplines. Okay. Um, I'm also the most well-versed. I'm the subject matter expert when it comes to cloud CME. Wow. So I do all of the updates to it, changes. um, I make tweaks to make it work better. New functions come out, all of that. On top of that, I also manage all of our online learning. So in the CME world, we call those enduring material. Okay. And we used to only have a handful, 10 to 15 of them, and they're good for one to three years. Since COVID, that number has skyrocketed and continues to go up. Wow. (laughs) So with those, it's once it's up and running, it's fine but there are annual tasks that have to be done to keep up with those. So I oversee all of those. I also oversee most all of our series conference or series activities that are done at grant. Okay. And then I have a handful of um, conferences that I do as well. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for going to more depth with that too. I feel like we're kind of um, 
looking at like an iceberg and just going further into the layers too. So not mm -hmm. only the different conferences and how your department works, but what you handle specifically. And as you mentioned before, each day is different. Like on this day, you could be working with the cloud or the online platform system, whatnot. And then maybe today you're working on planning the next conference that'll be happening in a few months too. So another question within that as well, what tips do you have then to make sure you're on top of those projects and making sure everything gets done? Because that sounds like a lot on your plate and it sounds like you definitely have to manage that aspect of your job. Yes, that is a great question. <laughs> and for me, I've always been really good at making lists. And for a long time, I was great at keeping the lists in my head and yep. not writing it down. Same here. <laughs> and one of the things my previous boss taught me was write it down. Because if you leave tomorrow, nobody knows what you still have to do. <laughs> right? <laughs> so the best advice I could give, and what works best for me, is writing it down. Rather, it's keeping a to-do list on pen and paper. Mm -hmm. using some kind of electronic source, rather you're just keeping a list in Microsoft Word or you're using OneNote or something where you can, these are the things I need to do by when or I need to do today and I can mark them off. The other thing that's really helpful for me, if there's something I need to do on a specific day, I'll put something on my calendar that says to do and what it is. Yes. And I use color coding on my calendar. So my to do's are bright orange right there. I can see it and then put it at the first thing in the day. I may not do it first thing, but at least it's at the top of the day. So I can continue to see it. Right. I'm not searching through the day to find it. So keeping lists, marking them off as your to do's, and putting most important things on your calendar have really worked best for me. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing those tips. I may have to try some of those myself because I use my um, Microsoft calendar as well for a day-to-day -to, -day to mark as to-do or even set appointment reminders. And as you mentioned, you may put it there first thing in the morning. That doesn't mean you have to do it right away. It just gives you awareness like, hey, this needs to be done by the end of the day today or whenever, like a high Priority, it sounds like a high priority, medium priority, and maybe low priority then too. Yeah, and there are plenty of times where the day does not go as planned and those yes. to-dos get moved to the next day. I am with you on that. I feel like especially this week, there's been a few things I've shuffled where I had it on my to-do list Wednesday, but then something popped up Wednesday and said, nope, I'm going to have to focus with this on Thursday too. So I totally yep. get where you're coming from with that. But yeah, thank you for sharing those tips. I'm going to have to try some of those out too and see how that goes. But I'm a big fan of writing it down, either pen and paper or on a calendar, your computer, because I used to stick it in my head, but then sometimes that works out and other times that's failed me too. Yeah, it's, it's too easy to forget. It really is. Perfect. So as I mentioned in the intro earlier, um, you wear a lot of hats too, and you also have a lot of uh, degrees and accreditations and certification as well. So do you mind doing a deep dive into maybe what uh, degrees, titles, accreditations that you hold that have helped you grow within uh, your career journey and with CME? Sure. So I hold a currently an associate degree. Okay. I have an associate degree of applied sciences and human resources management technology. 
Nice. And I'm currently in school to finish my bachelor's in um, business with a concentration in human resources management. Nice. That's my fo- my focus. Okay. I have a certification from the Human Resources um, Certification Institute, uh, and, and it's a associate professional of human resources, which I just renewed. Yeah. And I just became eligible this year for the next level, which is professional of human resources. Okay. So a PHR. Probably going to be a little bit before I get to that one, but I'm eligible now. Nice. So I've been approved to sit for the test for a CHCP, which is a Certified Healthcare Continuing Professional Development Professional Certification, so CHCP. It's a very hard test. They give you a year to take it. You have to get all these points and do all these different tasks before you can even apply, and then you have to be approved. Wow. So I'm going to be sitting for that in the fall. No, in the winter. I'll be sitting in the winter for it. So then I'll add some more letters to my name. Well, see, that's really cool. And and thank you for sharing that too. So um, I want to say, I guess, like, that's awesome that you're in your bachelor's degree program and and doing all that too, on top of the certifications. That's just, for me, very inspiring to hear because I've thought about going back to school either for certification degrees or maybe to get my master's in something and I keep flirting with the idea but I feel like hearing what you've been able to do too and how you've progressed that's given me some motivation and inspiration so thank you for sharing all that and that's crazy with that test because that sounds like a mouthful and then you said on top of having to do some pre-work or some pre-stuff and then you have to get approval to sit in for the test and then the test itself is not a walk in the park so that I just kudos to you. That just, that blows my mind and I can't believe that's coming up soon. Yeah. I'm very excited to do it. Yeah. I know people that have it and gotten it first time, but the test is not a cakewalk is what I keep hearing. Right. Oh my gosh. But yeah. Again, thank you for sharing all that. I feel like you're totally going to rock it. So within that same realm as too, as you've mentioned earlier in the conversation, you help out with conferences as well. And then I also believe that you also give presentations or speak at conferences too. So do you want to talk a little bit more about your experiences then with conference, whether the planning part or the presentation part? Yeah, so I have presented at several conferences over my four years of being in CME. Okay. Um, I, as being a volunteer site surveyor with the Ohio State Medical Association, I get asked to speak at their annual conference that they hold for CME providers. So people that do what I do elsewhere throughout Ohio. Okay. So I've presented or been a panelist there in 2017, 18, and then I will again this year. Nice. And I've also been a breakout session facilitator as well. Um, Last year, I was the co-chair of the planning committee for the fifth annual Midwest CME Providers Conference. So again, the same group of people, but from various states. Yeah. And I believe we had people from nine different states, speakers from seven different states that all came to Columbus for this all-day conference. And I also presented at the conference, too, with another CME professional from Indiana University and from Stanford University. 
space. And we presented together. That same person from Stanford and I, we've submitted an abstract as well to present at the 46th annual Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions Conference, which will be in January. So now we're just waiting on that. Wow. I enjoy doing things like that and presenting and teaching. I've always enjoyed it. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it sounds like that too, when you talk about planning conferences and speaking or presenting at conferences, I can definitely hear that in your voice. And I know that's not for everyone as well, but I can definitely hear the passion, the excitement through your voice as well. And that's something I love to do too. I love to give presentations or just talk as much as I can when I can. <laughs> yeah, I used to be really fearful of presenting. And okay. then somebody told me a trick. Oh, what's the trick? And if you look people in the eye when you're presenting, you get nervous. At least I do. Yeah. But if you look at people in the forehead, you look like you're making eye contact, but you're not. You don't feel like people are looking into your soul when you're presenting. So when I'm speaking, I look at people's foreheads. So I'm still looking in their direction. It looks like I'm making eye contact, but I'm really not. Oh my gosh. That's like such a mind blowing trick. And I might have to try that next time. I feel like I've heard that somewhere too, either the forehead or someone told me like around the top of the nose area, like during the interview process. So it looks like you're looking at them, but you're not doing like that weird, like really gauging into their soul, like a deep stare kind of, it can get creepy there <laughs> real fast, right? Yep. <laughs> no, I don't think you want to do that necessarily. And I'm the same. I feel like I'm the same way as you. It's like, I love presenting and talking to people but I get fearful of that so that thank you for sharing that trick there I'll have to try that definitely next time when talking to somebody too either face-to-face -face or presentation too um but yeah, yeah that that's just amazing how you used to be kind of a little bit intimidated from it but then you've moved past that mental block and that you've been able to give presentations and talk at conferences that's just very inspiring as well yeah when I started doing that trick my level of anxiety in presenting started to come down. And now I can present and I can look people in the eye and it doesn't bother me anymore. I don't have to look up at their foreheads mostly because I'm not fearful anymore. All that anxiety and stress that is all self-imposed is gone. See, that's amazing because I feel like that's just for most people. It's almost like an anxiety or like I did theater for a while. So it was always like the pre-stage jitters, like when you're hanging out backstage and you're like, oh my gosh, I know I'm coming up on stage soon or my line's going to come up or dance routine or whatever. And for me, it's always before the actual event happens is when like the anxiety and the nervousness like kicks in and then it stays with me for a tiny bit. But then I feel like after a minute or two, I'm like, okay. I'm still breathing. I'm still talking. I'm still here. And it kind of bypasses, but you're, you're right. It's like anything you can do to help kind of calm your nerves before, or even the first few minutes leading into it. And then hopefully it's just smooth sailing from there. Yeah. And even if it's not, that's okay too, yeah. because having the courage to, to want to do it and then to actually do it, regardless yes. of the outcome is something to be very proud of. Yes. 100% to that. That's why I try to um, tell people as well when they're like giving presentations, if I can tell they're kind of feeling 
a little bit of that nervous energy or just feeling off that that's half the battle is being courageous enough to want to give the presentation and the other half is actually giving the presentation because it, it's not an I, even if you're a seasoned pro at it i still feel like it's not an easy thing to do or you got to keep practicing with it but that's why i'm very empathetic with people who give presentations because it's a very courageous thing to do and it's a very scary thing for somebody to do i'm totally with you on that cool um so my next question then still within the cme realm then um i always like to ask all my guests then in the different areas or departments they work in what trends do you see maybe happening within the next five to ten years of cme whether it's a new cloud system for accreditation or the way conferences are held like do you foresee anything happening in the next few years that could be trending within your uh world i should say well within cme i think COVID has forced us to think differently. Sure. And to do differently and be different. And in that vein, it's caused us to move from face to face to online. Right. And it's caused us to really take a hard look at those conferences. And now the questions become, does it have to be in person? Or do we want it to be in person? Right. Two totally different questions. Whereas an in-person can be very expensive with a venue and food and travel and all that. Online, you don't have those overhead expenses. Yep. So five to 10 years, I definitely think we're going to have a lot more virtual conferences. We'll okay. still have some in-person when we get back to some level of normalcy. Sure. But I believe there'll be a lot more virtual. Another thing that has slowly been coming up over the last couple of years is maintenance certification oh. or MOC. So this is for physicians who are, they hold a certification in their specialty from a participating board of either the American Board of Medical Specialties or the American Osteopathic Board of Medical Specialties. So like OBGYN, family practice, gastroenterology, things like that. To maintain those board certifications, they have to have so many MOC points okay. tied to their CME credits. Currently, we don't at Ohio Health do MOC points yet, hopefully soon. Ooh. But as more and more of those member boards have MOC requirements that are tied to their licensure, they're going to need those. And they're going to need those points in a way that's easily accessible and cost-effective. I've heard from several physicians that they go to other organizations, other websites to get those points, but they pay for them. They pay, to, they pay to complete an online course that has MOC points. If you're paying for a conference, do you want to pay to go somewhere else to get then these MOC points? It's just money, money, money. Yeah. So it needs to be cost effective and easily accessible. And hopefully within the next year, we can move more towards that. And then within five to 10 years, have it fully integrated. Wow. 
Steve, thank you for sharing all that too. So it sounds like there's other credits for um, those doctors or those in the clinical field to obtain too. And it seems like there's just a lot of logistics and a lot of overhead with it as well. They go to one conference and pay for it, but they get this credit. But if they want the MOC credits, they may have to do that online or even at a different place. So it sounds like there's a really great opportunity to integrate both of that too and just make it more seamless or easier, hopefully for our clinical folks too. And also a good point too with the virtual, you are right, COVID has made us think outside the box then too with holding conferences or even programs or just really anything virtually. And it's been very eye-opening to see some of the feedback on that, you know, good or bad. You're right. You don't have to worry about traveling or the overhead costs of staying somewhere in the food and the space and, and all that stuff. So you're saving money and you're having it virtually. But I feel like at the same time, although virtual is great, it's much different from seeing people in person and having that interaction. And I feel like sometimes I get fatigued for being on a meeting or even a training for a few hours on the computer. So it'll be interesting to see how that will evolve over time once we do go back to normalcy and what that'll look like too. Yeah. Another thing I just thought of too that I think we'll definitely start to see a lot more of in the coming years is just in time. CME. Yes. In that in COVID, we learned a new way to deliver education that it might have been a presentation or an online meeting before. But being able to offer content, courses, handouts, and other materials at the palm in you know in the palm of your hand Mm -hmm. through like our mobile app or on on another mobile accessible way, right? clinicians can learn what they need to, still obtain their CME credit, but do it when they have the time, say in between patients, when they have some downtime at their practice. It's not a scheduled time that they have to, to carve out of their day to participate in something. So seeing that transition from it having to be in person to being easily accessible and on demand, I think we're really going to start to see a lot more of that. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that too, because I feel like I've been hearing that with some of the people I've been talking to as well, the just in time or the on demand too, you know, that as opposed to signing up for a conference and waiting for a few months for that conference to happen and having to carve out your schedule, you know, to get time off work or do whatever you need to do on, um, as opposed to just on time, you can be on your cell phone, your tablet, computer, whatever mobile device and just take it then and there. So it seems more schedule friendly as opposed to, again, traveling for the conference and carving out that time and trying to play catch up at work when you come back too. So that'll be interesting to see that in the CME field then too, and maybe just other sub departments within learning and how that evolves over time too. Yeah, I believe there'll definitely be some overflow. For sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what's on the horizon. Like it just, we've been able to think as a department outside the box and I feel like there's been a lot of good ideas and I'm just curious to see how or when that'll continue on when we go back to normalcy too and how we can keep that train going for sure. Yeah, for, definitely. Nice. One question I always like to ask everybody at my tabletop, regardless of their position, how high up they are um, in the organization and whatnot, in working within your team, the learning team, uh, within different departments or subject matter experts, what do you think is a quality or a trait that someone should possess no matter what 
their title is or how high up they are in the organization just from your observations? That is a great question in that I, I believe in the philosophy that no one is better than another person. You could be the CEO of the company or a housekeeper in a patient room. You're of equal importance. Yes. And people that have that characteristic that everybody is on an equal playing field, I believe succeed. When you start comparing yourself to other people and putting them on a pedestal, that pedestal gets higher and higher and higher and it becomes unachievable. So it's like shooting yourself in the foot. You're setting yourself up for failure. So to have that level of understanding, it really makes you step back and look at yourself in how you're contributing. Do you see yourself as an equal or less than or better than? If it's one of the latter two, you really pause and look at yourself. Because if you want to succeed, you have to go into it with a clear mindset. The other thing I would say is that be willing to take chances. Be willing to say yes, but don't be afraid to say no. You can have a full plate, but if something really is exciting to you or you really want to know something or it's a suggestion by someone that you really admire or look up to, do what you can to find a way to do it. Sometimes it's okay though to say no. Sometimes your plate is too full or life is life and you can't. And that has to be okay too. Avoiding the mindset that you always have to say yes is a set you up for failure. Our bandwidth only goes so far. We can only be stretched so far. In whatever you do, do your best. If you take on way too much, you're not doing your best. You're doing less than. And I believe that everybody is a customer to everybody. I'm the overachiever type. I always want to go do 110% when the ask was like 20%. Right. But that's just me. But even if the ask is, say, that 20%, you can still do your best. Your best is a reflection of you to other people, how they see you. So if you're always giving your best, being open to feedback, open to giving feedback, people will ask you to do things or they'll remember you. Oh, he was really good at this. Maybe he'd be really good for this or he could help with this project or lead this team or do X, Y, or Z. Put yourself out there. Learn to be brave and take risks. Yeah, absolutely. Like 1 million percent amen to everything you just listed there. And I love within that whole conversation, it seems like the general basis is the equal balance, right? Nothing more, nothing less. So I feel like I've seen this on the internet or social media somewhere where someone put a quote where it's like, you treat the CEO the way that you would a janitor or a housekeeper. You give them the same equal respect that everybody deserves no matter what. Regardless of title or what you do, everyone deserves the same respect and time everybody does no matter what. So I love that mindset there too. 
And also, I feel like you really spoke to me with the whole yes and no thing. There's nothing wrong with saying no. And that's a journey that I've been getting on myself is like trying to make sure I can say no, that no is not a bad word. No is a good word because you have to find that equal balance where you're not stretching yourself too much and dealing with the coping um, fatigue and the burnout, you know what I mean? And that you are being the best that you can be when you arrive to work or even in your personal life as well. But there's nothing wrong with the word no. And I'm trying to teach myself it's okay to say that. And also the aspect of being brave and saying yes and raising your hand to projects that you want to try at. So yeah, like I said, that whole thing you just said there just spoke to me on a whole different personal level. So thank you for sharing all of that too. That really resonated with me and I feel like that'll resonate with the audience as well. Yeah, learning to be okay with saying no definitely doesn't happen overnight. Yes. It really is a journey. And like most things, everything, it's a journey over time and keeps going and never stops. But really learning that and accepting that it's okay to say no sometimes, it really is like turned on a light bulb. It really changes your perspective. Yes. Now, if you're always saying no, that's a totally different conversation and a different topic. <laughs> right. <laughs> but sometimes it's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you just said there too, it's not going to happen overnight. It's a journey. I've been, I've been working on it for a bit. That's kind of one of my personal goals is that it's okay to step in and say no. And that no is not a bad word. It's okay to say no. And I feel like that, like you said, that's the first step in that self-awareness and that recognition piece there. And that's the first step. And then that's how you make the step to actually saying no without any hesitation or second thought to it as well. You know, you just mentioned something that's another really great quality to have both in yourself and to see in others. And it's recognition. Yes. I mean, the two greatest words that somebody can hear for the work they've done is thank you. Yes. To give recognition, rather it be in writing, in, in um, verbal or whatever medium you're doing it, just showing appreciation and giving and acknowledging success, it goes leaps and bounds. Just hearing someone see the work that you've done, especially if it's something you're very proud that you've done, but seeing somebody else see that, it's so gratifying. And then to see someone's reaction when you say thank you or a great job or I really appreciate that, seeing their reaction or hearing how it made them feel is also really gratifying. You know, it releases that serotonin and gets you going. Right. And I love how you just made a full circle of that, too. You're right. The, the, some of the most powerful words in language is thank you. I feel like you can never say that too much and i feel like recognition is always needed in the workplace because that will go so far as you mentioned there too with somebody's morale and to keep them going and keep them motivating but it's also a full circle as well as you say thank you to someone but then you see that person's reaction to it it's, it is very gratifying and very rewarding that too knowing that you are helping them to make them feel that way essentially you know because maybe unfortunately they don't get that from other work people or even in their personal life so you 
I feel like people don't realize the power of the thank you and the rewarding and the gratification of it for sure. Yeah. Words, words have great power. Right. All you have to do is be willing to use it. Right. And honestly, I couldn't think of a more perfect segue to this next question or piece here. So I know we've been talking a lot about your professional life as well, but whenever I do bring someone to the table, I want to know the full person. I want to know more about their personal life as well. So within that realm, then, what are some of your passion projects or what do you love to do for fun outside of work? I really want to get to know you in this space. Wow. I <laughs> Loaded question again. <laughs> yeah. You love a loaded question. That's I'm okay. like Barbara though. Walters. <laughs> yes. So I, I'm a bit of an enigma in that I, I like some of the regular things that people like, like sure. music and movies and hanging out with friends. But then I like other things like I enjoy sitting at a museum. Okay. And quiet. I enjoy working on crossword puzzles, which some people say that makes me like 80 years old. Whatever. <laughs> I know. I agree. <laughs> and I'm huge into genealogy. Ooh. Yeah. Love it. I, I collect postcards. I love decorating for Christmas, things like that. Yes. And spending time with my dog. And, and see, I love how you spend that too. And in a sense that like, we're all common that we generally like movies, music, hanging out with friends in that aspect. But then as you mentioned there, there's still the unique piece part of you too, that you love crossword puzzles and love going to a museum and just kind of sitting there and soaking in everything or observing stuff. You know, it's like, I love how you put that spin on that. And I just learned more about you too. I love going to museums as well, but maybe I need to be better about sitting down and actually soaking in stuff as opposed to just, walking faster each room trying to yeah. get everything in that way right that's how it's, i used to be yeah it was like oh well done with that <laughs> like i enjoyed it but it's over but right it, and then but if like, you what? asked me how i felt or what i thought about any particular piece i won't be able to tell you yes so when i started slowing down when i go to a museum and actually really look at at a piece or and to appreciate it yes you really start to learn more about it. And it's just, I find it very calming and a level of tranquility comes across me and I really can just soak it in. Absolutely. It's, what is it? It's like learning to stop and smell the roses and actually mm -hmm. take in at that piece or what's going on around you. You're right. It's almost a very tranquil kind of mindset because yeah there's times before where I feel like I would zoom through museums to capture everything but if you asked me what my favorite part was or what room I would fumble at that because I'm like well I just saw everything but nothing really stuck out to me and I'm like but I feel like that's the purpose of a museum obviously to see some stuff but like what really resonated with you that's going to sit with you once you leave that space and carry that on to whatever you're doing too yeah. And, and it's hard to do that because we live in such a fast paced, go, go, go life. Our whole world is constantly moving to actually force yourself to stop and think about something other than what's the next thing I have to do. It's, it can be difficult, but it is so cathartic and so rewarding. 
It really is. That's just a beautiful piece to bring up there because I feel like I need to be better about that because there's times where I feel like I blink my eye and I'm like, how was the day over already? And I have mm -hmm. to sit and reflect. I'm like, what What did I do today? What did I accomplish? And, and some days are better than others with that or just trying to be more observant of the things around me and the people around me too. And if they're in a certain mood or an energy, just like trying to be more self-aware of that too. Yeah. Like, did I eat breakfast this morning? Have I drank any water? I don't know what time it is. <laughs> for real. I feel like that's me at the end of the day. I'm like, did I get enough water intake for the day? Did I, did I do that? What did I have for breakfast? Like it just, it really makes you sit there and think. And it's like, I'm just trying to be better about slowing down and being more observant of things too. Yeah. And I love the crossword puzzles too. I mean, who cares? Like, if you love doing that, do that. Like, if people want to put a whole age mentality on you, like, that's on them. Like, I used to love doing what is, I don't, I can never say it right, the Sudoku puzzles. Sudoku? Yes. I haven't touched that in a while, but you've motivated me to get back into more of those puzzle games. I haven't touched those in a long time. But see, I, I love that. That's what makes you unique, too, in that sense, and just everything that you shared. Yeah. I, secretly, I'm a big nerd. And I love to learn. Like, that's why I'm good at like games like Trivial Pursuit and Jeopardy. You know, <laughs> I I know a ton of facts about a ton of different things. Oh my gosh! Not a not all the facts about one thing though. <laughs> you have a broad range. I feel like yeah. that's better than maybe being a subject matter expert in one area, right? It, I feel like <laughs> when you broaden your horizons, it just makes you a a full person in a sense you know what I mean I mean to each their own if you want to be a subject right. matter expert in one area you do you but I feel like when you have a broader lens or scope of things that just makes you a more well-rounded well person in my personal opinion yeah I agree yeah I'm gonna have to challenge you in like trivia then and I love watching Jeopardy too and trying to see what I've been able to retain through school education just in general life <laughs> Yeah. The game is on next time. <laughs> Going we'll do down. One of those virtual WebExes with Jeopardy, where we'll watch it at the same time and like try to do the buzzer <laughs> trick too. We'll have to set that up for sure. <laughs> I like yeah. it. Uh, I love challenging the mind. And you're in good company. I feel like I'm a big nerd too, especially when it comes to like certain movies and like Marvel comic book stuff. That that's where like my nerd side comes out for sure. So. <laughs> I love nice. It. Like I said, I feel like that's just a beautiful way to wrap up there, just what we talked about too. So again, I want to thank you tremendously so much for being here today, joining me at the table and just sharing everything. I know you've motivated and inspired me today. I feel like you'll do that with some of the audience that's listening too. So again, thank you for being here today. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Always remember to be kind to yourself and one another. And remember, if you don't have an invite to the table, make your own. This is Table Talk with Tara.